This is Health Dose, a conversational podcast that focuses on your health. I'm Jerry O'Donnell. Today, we're going to focus in on your knees and ACL surgery. Sabine Shaw, MD, is an orthopedic surgeon with specialized fellowship training in sports medicine. Health Dose asked Dr. Shaw, if I tear my ACL, does it mean that I absolutely need surgery? To understand ACL reconstruction, you kind of have to understand the basic anatomy of the ACL and of the knee. The knee is one of our largest joints in our body. However, unlike the hip, it doesn't have much inherent stability. What I mean is that the hip has a ball and socket joint where the ball is almost completely enclosed by the socket. The knee is more like a hinge and relies on multiple ligaments or ropes that connect bone to bone for stability. So the knee has four primary ligaments, two on the outside and two that cross on the inside. The two that cross are referred to cruciate ligaments, which is the C in ACL and PCL. So the A refers to anterior and the P refers to posterior, which give a hint to their functions. The anterior cruciate ligament resists anterior translation of the tibia or the shin bone along the femur. And what does that mean? So it basically prevents your tibia from going too far forward compared to your thigh bone or your femur. But the PCL and the ACL, they cross. So not only does it prevent anterior translation, it also helps provide some rotational stability, which then gives you an idea of how the injury happens and what the point of reconstruction is. So getting to an injury, an ACL injury, the classic ACL injury is a young athletic female, say college basketball player, who lands awkwardly and suddenly feels a pop in her knee that's painful, as well as notices a quick effusion or large swelling in her knee. In my clinic, I find almost 70-80% of these types of patients have an ACL tear. And when you go to examine them with the ACL being torn, you can see that the tibia translates forward, as well as the knee possesses a lack of rotational stability. In order to get back to those kinds of activities, soccer, changing direction, basketball, tennis, we need to reconstruct the ACL in order to give the knee enough stability and prevent future injuries. But going in the same direction about folks that don't require ACL injury, you don't need an ACL to walk in a straight line. And most folks don't need an ACL to even run in a straight line. So if that's your only activity, then it's possible that you can get away without an ACL reconstruction. But we know that our younger, higher activity folks, they require that kind of thing. Or if you go hiking and you might walk on uneven surfaces, it's probably better to reconstruct it. Let me back up just a second. Sure. Why female? It's a good question. Uh, And I was hoping you'd ask that. So... We know from decades and decades of research that females are four to five times more likely to tear their ACLs than males. And the theories that go behind that are multiple. One is that females, especially young athletic females, tend to be more quad dominant than hamstring. And with that relative hamstring weakness, the quadriceps during an act of contraction pulls the tibia anterior and stresses the native ACL. That's also why they're more likely to fail an ACL reconstruction. 
This leads right into what we do for injury and ACL injury prevention, which focuses on hamstring strengthening and restoring that quad to hamstring balance. Another reason is that females tend to have wider hips, which increases what we call the valgus or knock kneed angle across the knee, both at rest and especially during jumping and landing which is another focus of ACL injury prevention, landing and jumping mechanics. And finally, anatomically, we believe that females in general have a smaller notch in the femur, which again stresses the ACL a bit more. So it's, it's a combination of how a female body is built. All of those factors lead to a higher propensity for tearing their ACL. Yes, it's a bit about anatomy and it's a bit about mechanics mm -hmm. and you can't really change anatomy to prevent injury but you can definitely target mechanics and so that's what we do and strengthen all the supporting right factors that lead to uh, right. a stronger knee increased hamstring strength leads to better mechanics and what we call neuromuscular coordination where they find that working on jumping mechanics and landing mechanics you don't fall into a knock need position, that tends to prevent ACL injury. Now, you said that not everybody who tears their ACL will necessarily need surgery. Does that mean that if a person tears their ACL, they're going to need surgery right away, or is it something that can wait? Yeah, so timing for ACL surgery is very important. The most important thing as a surgeon that I look for is the restoration of range of motion, especially full extension. ACL surgery that is done on knees that don't have a good range of motion and especially lack in extension have been shown to also lack a full range of motion in their outcomes. So when I see a patient that I suspect of an ACL injury with a significant limited range of motion, I will always send them to some therapy or what we call prehab prior to ACL reconstruction. And the focus there is primarily getting that range of motion back. So during that time, is a person going to experience a lot of pain with their ACL injury? So right off the bat, the ACL injury will be painful. And a lot of the pain comes because the ACL is innervated like our muscles in our skin. Innervated. What, what does that which, word mean? Which means nerves are connected to it. Okay. And sensation can come from it. Mm -hmm. The other painful contributor is the huge effusion or lots of swelling or fluid in the knee. Oftentimes that comes from accumulated blood in the knee because the ACL also has blood vessels that tend to bleed when it tears. Sometimes folks come in with massive effusions and a surgeon or a sports medicine doctor can aspirate or take that fluid off, which provides significant relief. After a few days to a week, the pain will subside. But as the swelling goes down in an ACL deficient knee, oftentimes one could feel senses of instability or the knee giving out. Those folks are more likely to require ACL reconstruction as their knee has proven to be unstable even in activities of daily living. So the long and the short of it is a person might not need to have surgery right away. Yeah, most people don't require surgery right away. The ones that really get surgery within the first few weeks are more of our extremely high-level competitive athletes mm -hmm. who are working with therapists from the day of injury to bring the swelling down and restore the range of motion. 
Really, the range of motion dictates timing of surgery. That's probably number one. What's also very important to keep in mind are simultaneous injuries, right? So oftentimes, the ACL is not only the, in, is not only the injured structure. What we look for when we get an MRI are injuries to the other ligaments, the PCL, the MCL, and the LCL, but also the menisci, which are the shock absorbers of the knee. And it's not uncommon at all to have a lateral meniscus tear with a acute ACL injury. When you have a subsequent or simultaneous meniscus injury, that usually speeds up the timing for surgery. Mm-hmm because we don't want that meniscus injury to get worse. An ACL tear is an ACL tear, and oftentimes a partial tear is treated like a complete tear. But meniscus tears are often focal, and they can propagate or get worse. Mm -hmm. And the prevention of that is why we take those folks to surgery a bit earlier. Sometimes a meniscus tear can prevent full extension of the leg because it can flip under the condyle and be a mechanical block. In those situations, we try to get their range of motion as good as possible, and then we take them to fix the meniscus and address the ACL. We've also seen with a lot of research that meniscus repairs are shown to heal at a higher rate when doing an ACL surgery at the same time. Once a person has an ACL reconstruction, does their knee return to full range of motion? The short answer is yes, most do with the hard work of the patient and the physical therapy program. Physical therapy is critical, both focusing on range of motion and strengthening. Both of those are number one. And then a progression month by month to activities that the patient plans to perform. Whether the patient is a collegiate soccer player or an avid hiker or a surfer or a skier, we coordinate physical therapy protocols with our physical therapists in order to get folks back to doing the activities that they plan on doing. So walk me through that process from the moment that you decide that a patient needs to have an ACL reconstruction. How long is the surgery and then what is the physical therapy protocol afterwards? What does that look like? Sure. So again, the timing of surgery relies on if there's a meniscus or other ligamentous injury, It relies on the swelling and range of motion of the patient, and it relies on, frankly, the patient's life circumstances. It's tough to do an ACL reconstruction two weeks before someone's wedding Mm -hmm. because I'd rather not have them try to dance on something that I just fixed. Mm -hmm. The surgery for an ACL reconstruction takes about an hour. Now, that time can change based on what graft I'm using. That time can change based on if there's another injury that I need to address. Like a meniscus. Like a meniscus or another ligament. Meniscus is is a matter, is that a matter of trimming off the messed up part of the meniscus? So it can be a debridement or a meniscectomy like you described, or it could be a meniscus repair. Now, given the data that shows that meniscus repairs are more likely to heal or have a more successful outcome in the setting of an ACL reconstruction, most of us sports surgeons are likely to try to repair it. The meniscus tear is one of those things, though, that the nature of the tear, the shape of the tear, the location of the tear oftentimes dictates how we can fix it or whether we need to debride it. Mm -hmm. And when you're talking about an ACL reconstruction, do you swap it out or do you just stitch it back together? So a reconstruction oftentimes, almost always means replacing it. Mm -hmm. 
So, so we use a graft, and more often than not, we use an autograft or a graft that comes from the patient's body. We've found that using certain tendons in different ways is the best option for grafts. The most common or the gold standard for an ACL reconstruction is what we call a BTB autograft, or in other words, a bone tendon bone autograft. We take a small chunk of the patella or a kneecap and the central centimeter of the patellar tendon or the tendon that connects your kneecap to your shin bone. Then we take a small chunk of the tibia and we use this bone tendon bone to pass through the native locations of the origin and insertion of the ACL and we reconstruct it in that way. Now, the bone tendon bone, although it is the gold standard because it provides bone-to-bone -bone healing in the femur and the tibia, also comes with some downsides, including 25 to 30% of folks complain of post-operative anterior knee pain, most often at the site of harvest from the kneecap. Mm -hmm. Now, we have developed techniques to bring bone graft into that area, and we've decreased that reported pain, but that still exists as an issue. Mm -hmm. And so folks that I think that may not be able to tolerate that or may not require that level of bone-to-bone -bone healing, we can use soft tissue grafts for. Historically, the most common soft tissue graft that has been used is what's called a quadrupled hamstring, where we take one or two of the hamstring tendons from the medial aspect of the knee and we fold them over and basically create a similarly sized rope that we pass through the same spots between the femur and the tibia and we secure with a button rather than a screw like we would use for the BTB. The hamstring has been shown to have a lot less anterior knee pain, but long-term studies and anecdotal patients will anecdotally report hamstring cramping when they try to work out, even years after reconstruction. Mm. One of the historically less commonly used grafts, but now more commonly used grafts, is actually taking a central slip of the quadriceps tendon above the kneecap, which still functions as a soft tissue graft, but has a similar consistency to the patellar tendon and has shown to have significantly less post-op pain and long-term morbidity. So in my practice, although the BTB or patellar tendon graft, autograft, will be my still gold standard and probably my most commonly used graft. I will be using a lot of quad tendon autograft because I do believe in the structure of it as well as the significant post-op pain relief. Mm -hmm. We talked about using the patient's own tissue to reconstruct, uh, reconstruct the knee. What about using like cadaver tissue? Yeah, that's a really good question. Because it's really common, especially in sort of rural environments. The allograft or a cadaver reconstruction provides a few benefits. The most obvious being no donor site morbidity mm -hmm. or nor, no pain at the site from which we would harvest. However, decades and decades of research have unanimously found that the younger and more active a patient is, an allograft is more likely to fail. And that's because the inherent tissue in a processed cadaver graft is just likely to stretch out with repeated stress. Now, that difference tends to disappear around the age of 40 because we believe 
40 plus year olds probably don't stress their knees as much as 20 plus year olds. But we do all know 40 and 50 year olds who are extremely, extremely active. And in those people, I would consistently recommend using an autograft. Right. So there's differences based on your age and how much you use your knees, whether you would use someone's own tissue or use like a cadaver tissue. Right. I think graft selection, whether it's the specific type of graft or whether it's an auto, an allograft, is a medical science in its own. We as physicians are taught to treat the patient, not necessarily the injury or the MRI. And so part of my job is to understand who my patient is, what their demands are, what sort of therapy and pain tolerance they have, and choose a graft accordingly. So after the hour-long surgery, given all the options that you have of taking parts of my, you know, other parts of my leg and making it work in my knee, what's the recovery look like for me after surgery? Sure. So in general, after our ACL reconstruction, when I'm done, while I'm still in the operating room, I'll put a a knee brace on the patient that is able to change in terms of how much flexion and extension we allow, but I will lock it in extension. I'll put an ice machine or an ice pack on the knee and we'll send the patient home with crutches. Now, that patient can put full weight on that knee from the very beginning, as long as it's locked in extension. The last thing we wanna do is to have the patient bear weight in flexion because that would stress the ACL. In other words, we're gonna keep my legs straight the whole time. For now. For now, but bending the knee could cause some problems. Bending the knee with weight. Mm -hmm. So we encourage the patient to take the brace off when they're laying in bed and work on range of motion, because we can't start working on strength until we have full range of motion. Right. But we don't want you bearing weight while bending the knee. Right. So for the first two weeks, they rest, they stay at home, they start working on range of motion. They can do some quad strength exercises just in bed, like straight leg raises. It's critical to get your quad strength back. And if you ever see me or you talk to any of my friends who have had ACL reconstruction that call me about advice, quad strength, quad strength, quad strength. Mm -hmm. That's everything. Mm -hmm. And so after about two weeks, when all the post-op inflammation has calmed down, we start physical therapy. And the physical therapists are well-versed in ACL rehab. They start with passive range of motion. They move on to active range of motion while focusing on quad strength. Then they will focus on further strengthening the quads, working on hamstrings, and progressing activity as tolerated. When we talk about return to sport like football, basketball, soccer, that require bursts of speed, change of direction, pivoting, Mm -hmm. landing, and plyometrics, we often tell patients that our timeline is about six to nine months. But by 12 weeks, we expect folks to be running in a straight line on a treadmill. With that sort of progression, we oftentimes find our patients happy to progress as tolerated. Mm -hmm. So you're going to listen to your body, basically, and it's going to be 12 weeks before you're fully healed. I'm putting that in quotation marks. But really, you don't want somebody going back to being a lineman in football or to uh, playing on a basketball court for six, eight months. Yeah, and I would actually caution you to even say that. So what we tend to see happens is as soon as they start running by 12 weeks, we see this critical part around three or four months where the ACL 
graft bone interface actually weakens a bit before it fully matures. Hmm. And so we have this situation where a young male or female athlete feels no pain. They feel pretty good about running. Range of motion. Range of motion is great. Their quad strength is back. And they go try to play a little bit of basketball, play a little bit of tennis, and hear another pop. Re-injure and, it. And re-injure it. Mm-hmm. And that is something that I have seen many, many times, even in my limited experience. Mm-hmm. So it is something that we caution and caution and caution. And that's why we also closely follow folks up right. to remind them. It is a common thing that we fall into, especially with our younger patients. Discipline. Yes. The discipline of taking it easy when you don't feel pain. Right. And the euphoria of being able to do stuff again on a bad knee and suddenly you've re-injured it. Right. In general, if a patient plays by the rules and does everything you say, how successful is an ACL replacement uh, surgery? Very, very successful. I mean... All you have to do to see ACL outcomes in 2021 is look at the NFL and the NBA, mm-hmm. right? And I brought a couple notable NFL players that you guys might have heard of. Tom Brady, mm-hmm. J.J. Watt, Rob Gronkowski, Teddy Bridgewater, Adrian Peterson. Adrian Peterson's not retired, but these guys have been playing on torn ACLs for years. I mean, reconstructed ACLs for years. The NBA is even more common than that because it's much more of a changing direction sport. Even than football. Right. So we look at high school, college, professional players that we reconstruct ACLs on, and most, if not all, are able to get back to their sport and back to their similar performance levels. So it's a very, very, very successful surgery, but there are risk factors that would give pause to somebody that may make them higher risk for Mm re-injury. Someone that is non-compliant. Smokers have a higher risk of re-injury because we know that nicotine cuts off the blood supply to the healing tissues. But the good news is, is you can return an elite athlete to their elite status with a reconstruction surgery. And that's good news for somebody who's maybe an elderly patient who's a desk jockey like me. There's an opportunity for a person to regain their mobility. Absolutely. Going back to our original question, though, does everyone need a reconstruction, Hmm. right? And I would argue that for a lot of folks that have a more sedentary lifestyle, they may not require it. In those situations, we send them to physical therapy and they try to get back to their normal activities, Mm -hmm. right? The main risk that we talk about in an ACL deficient knee is a subsequent injury because of the instability, right? Right, And so if you're not an athlete and if you have a sedentary lifestyle, most of my recommendations would be to go to rehab, see what you can get back. Your pain will get better. Your swelling will get better. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have any issues with the knee giving out or you don't feel it locking up on you or mm-hmm. things like that, mm-hmm. you may not need an ACL reconstruction, mm-hmm. right? Because an ACL rehab is not easy. Right? And I should stress that. It's critical to getting back to your activities, but it's also not easy. It takes a certain perseverance. It takes a certain pain tolerance, and it takes a certain discipline. Mm-hmm. Uh, and not everybody is, you know, has that. 
So we talked about that discipline of making sure you don't put too much stress in that critical period, like 12 weeks, you said. How does a person know when they're ready to return to sport? How do you counsel them to know that they're ready to go back on a basketball court or on a football field? Although there's no complete consensus on when athletes can return to sport, we like to bombard them with a lot of tests that would recreate sport-like situations. So before we even go into ACL testing for return to sport, the very minimal criteria is that their range of motion is similar to the contralateral uninjured leg, as well as their quadriceps strength has returned to that similar to the uninjured leg. We can gauge the quadriceps strength based on manual muscle testing and the girth or the width of the quadriceps muscle. After those two criteria have been achieved, we're still not ready to send an athlete back to sport. We do a number of dynamic stress tests, including double leg, single leg hop testing, different direction jump testing, plyometric testing, that all need to show similar quality to the uninjured leg. If a patient shows that they are not ready for these tests, or they are not ready while doing these tests, they are not ready to return back to sport. Mm -hmm. So it's a matter of measuring the strength and the size of the injured leg versus the uninjured leg. Yes. And once you get those back in balance, there's a good indication that that person is, is headed in the right direction. That is orthopedic surgeon Sabine Shaw. Dr. Shaw has specialized fellowship training in sports medicine and treats athletes and general orthopedic patients. Dr. Shaw sees patients in Alma, Claire, and Mount Pleasant. As always, if you have health concerns, best place to start is your primary care provider. You can find more information about Dr. Shaw at midmichigan.org slash Sabine hyphen Shaw. I'm Jerry O'Donnell. Thank you so much for listening. Check back again soon for another episode of Health Dose.